What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from separate locations. Futures are red as jobless claims print another 2.98 million. That does bring the total to more than 36 million over eight weeks. NASDAQ's back in the red for the year. Oil, interestingly, is higher. Brent above 30 as the IEA says the outlook has improved somewhat. Uh, but, Jim, uh, obviously, both yesterday and today, the market really wrestling with the timing, the pace, uh, the safety of this economic reopening. Right. I, mean, I think that at this point, we know that the V is off the table. Uh, the struggle here is whether we have a U-shaped recovery or whether we don't have a recovery. Uh, and I keep coming back to there are two things that can happen. You get a vaccine and you'll have a V. You don't get a vaccine and you'll have an L. And I think that on days like today, when you see the unemployed number and you say to yourself, without a vaccine, this is going to be a very, very long slog, just like what Chairman Powell said yesterday. Chairman Powell's giving you the straight stuff. And this number should not be a surprise to people who listened to him yesterday. When you think about a vaccine this week, Jim, uh, we've heard promising uh, comments from Pfizer and J&J. Today, it's the Novartis CEO in this op-ed in Europe saying that it's likely a second half 2021 story. What, what do we believe? I think it's second half 2021, if at all. I mean, it's a very, very difficult uh, virus. Uh, but, you know, that may just mean when you look at this, you have to make when is this pandemic end? When everyone gets the vaccine, not just when we get the vaccine. So I do think that America, if it's fast tracked uh, here, it will be uh, you'll be you'll get it before uh, the middle of 2021. But I do not believe the president's view that it's end of the year, just because the scientists almost almost all together other than Moderna do not really believe that that's the case. J&J being the most bullish still wouldn't be until uh, I'd say end of first quarter. You know, we come back to this this uh, this question all the time, guys, for an obvious reason, because we're trying to understand what it's going to mean for economic activity and everything else. But, Jim, what about the scenario under which by the fall or perhaps let's call it even in a couple of months in the summer, the rate of infection has dropped dramatically, even in the hot spots. And there are the potential for antivirals that are taken far earlier in onset and have the effect of really uh, limiting uh, the damage from the virus. What about that scenario? Is that one under which uh, people feel more comfortable participating in broad, uh, broad swaths of economic activity, so to speak? Yes. Absolutely. And when you look at the piece today about remdesivir and it's being tried with other drugs, that's terrific. This is Regeneron's plan. Uh, they have monoclonal antibodies. They can uh, merge the two, uh, maybe with remdesivir. Uh, and I think what would happen is, is that the fear would be taken out. Uh, you would say, OK, listen, I know I can get sick just like with the regular flu. I know that I can die more likely than the regular flu. But I also feel that I'm more confident 
And yes, it would be a game changer. I, we have to have at least that. That that takes a depression off the table. If you want to take a serious recession off the table, give us a vaccine quickly. Because, and I say that because the amount of money is being pumped into this economy, it's just incredible. And if we get uh, Speaker Pelosi's three trillion, wow! You put that on top of maybe something really good scientific. And we're going to see why the market is going to do the opposite of what Stanley Druckenmiller and Dave Tepper said yesterday. Although if Tepper sees this, I think he changed his mind. And what, what I'm uh, what I'm thinking about, David, is I balance between the optimism of science and a belief in science and the pessimism of uh, these unemployment numbers, which just are devastating and feel so 1931 like waiting for the Hoovervilles is terrible. Yeah, no, it's, the it's, numbers it's are, are just so much are horrible. As, yeah, yeah uh, as, Carl, as, as Powell you know, said, and we're looking uh, at them right levels now. Levels of pain that are hard to put into words. Yes. But, you know, Jim, I, I thought of you this morning because uh, Danny Meyer talks to Bloomberg uh, and says uh, he has no interest or excitement in having a half full dining room while everyone's getting their temperature taken and wearing masks for not much money. He won't open his New York City dining rooms until there is a vaccine. He's dead right. I mean, if you look at the Tennessee pledge, which is the most likely to be used, you're talking about maybe 40 percent of the tables in. You would have to more than double the, the price that you charge people. I, those serious questions when people come in where you have to ask them, have they had it? Do they know anybody had it? And then you take their temperature. You don't want And then you come in for a Corona at my place. I mean, the whole thing is like a trifecta bad between the table, among the tables, the questions. And you can't sit at the bar, by the way. That's another great thing. The bar at, at, at Manhattan is one of the greatest places on earth. I mentioned it yesterday as my favorite restaurant, Scott Wabner. Uh, yeah, it's devastating. And Danny knows hospitality. And it's the most inhospitable thing in the world to have a guy with, uh, or a woman with gloves and a mask say, have you or have you ever had the, do you or have you ever had this virus? I mean, no, people won't go out. And Danny can't do that great takeout. I had good numbers last night in my takeout business. Uh, but, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, my little operation, good numbers is 700 bucks. Take it. Yeah, that's not going to carry the day, Jim. No. Uh, 700 bucks. And a lot of restaurants are uh, saying obviously the same thing, which totally. is it's just enough to sort of keep them top of mind for their customer base. But it's not at all about actually making money. That not to say as well, Carl, there's plenty of critics out there who also worry about a second wave in the fall, not to get too uh, too dark here, but and that we still don't have a plan from the federal level in terms of how we're really going to deal with that. We watch states obviously making their own way here, all making different decisions to a certain extent in terms of reopening their economy, some based on the national guidelines, others not. But this lack of an overall plan, which has beleaguered us from the very beginning of this virus, continues to be a concern if, in fact, we do get you know, you've all seen those charts of the 1918 pandemic as well, where the second wave actually was worse than the first. Yeah, that filled yeah, off I'll be parade. interested to hear. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Bright, Dr. Rick Bright, of course, uh, the ousted uh, vaccine official is going to testify uh, in about an hour, guys. Not to I mean, to offset some of this uh, gloominess, Joe, uh, Jim, uh, MasterCard. We believe we're starting to see the transition from the stabilization phase to the normalization phase in some markets. Uh, it was two weeks. Obviously, we mentioned two weeks, but we key mentioned two the weeks, oil right? Outlook. Key two weeks. Yeah, uh, because and, this is when we're trying to open uh, oil going up is actually sure the Bakken's coming down and some of uh, the Permian's coming down. But there has to be a little bit of demand. 
Uh, I do see that there are more stores opening up. And uh, we have a recommendation, for instance, today, Best Buy. I don't know how that became essential, but a nice upgrade. I think that that some of the opening is good. And then I go see uh, Nick's Bar I just posted in Twitter where you know, guys lined up, no mass. I mean, that's where you get the second wave. And, David, uh, when the war bonds were yeah. sold in Philadelphia uh, and they had a giant parade, because they said, you know what, we're tough. We're tough Philadelphians. No, we were idiotic Philadelphians. St. Louis, on the other hand, had no crowds, yeah. and they had half the number of people. So you just kind of use it. But Eric Schmidt was one. He was really great. I don't know if you guys caught him. Uh, but he was mm-hmm. saying, look, the only thing we have in our arsenal, mass, social distancing, washing hands. Okay, well, there's three things that we better do. Uh, true. Uh, it, it's um, it. It uh, does appear wearing masks is probably a beneficial thing to do. Remember, at the beginning, we were told not to because we had to save them for the professionals. Uh, And now it's become more of a political statement one way or the other, whether you wear a mask or not, it seems. Um, You know, Jim, on the credit card data, though, the hedge funds obviously follow this stuff very closely. All those who mine data, for example. I mean, the aggregate credit card spend has seemed to have shifted, but it hasn't declined as much as some would have thought. Um, we can imagine the ways in which it's shifted. Clearly, nobody's going to restaurants, but they are buying other things. And even at the lower end, you know, uh, payday lending down, right. pawn shops down, subprime delinquencies down, not up, surprisingly. Now, that may be a result of the unprecedented aid that has come uh, and that might disappear come, let's call it the end of July, when that $600 additional benefit for unemployment runs out. Right. Uh, and PayPal numbers were really excellent. Uh, look, David, I, I, I had Nancy, Nancy, Speaker Pelosi on. <laughs> this phase two needs $3 trillion, and you've got to get more money in people's pocket for precisely what you just said. Uh, you've got to get money to people who are, uh, let's say, uh, on the margin, going to have their businesses closed because PPP may run out after a certain point. And I just also think that you have to have the states have more money. This, this is killing the states. And we don't want the states to have to file bankruptcy. That's not the way the country works. So I, I don't understand what the holdup is. I know $3 trillion is a lot of money. But when you listen to Chairman Powell yesterday, all you could say was, thank heaven so many companies refinanced. Thank heaven they drove draw the revolvers down. But I don't want to be a bank in this, in this country. I don't want to be Wells Fargo. I don't want to be Charlie Scharf, uh, who bought a ton of stock, $5 yeah. million dollars worth it, what, at 28 I don't want to be Charlie Sharp mm-hmm. and Wells without another $3 trillion coming at this country. Well, you know, Jim, I'd love to quickly come to the banks because we all watched them yesterday. Of course, Wells Fargo being the worst performer. It's $22.50 right now. Uh, where's the yield? Let me just take a quick look. 9.05% is the yield. What is that stock saying? Market cap there is, what, $90 billion. I mean, it's hard to imagine at this point. Unless there's something there that a lot of uh, us are unaware of. See, I thought of what it says is Vice Chairman uh, uh, Quarles uh, is going to say that these banks need to keep their capital. Uh, they can't give it out. And you know what the real tell was that, David? When we heard that PNC was selling off one of the pristine uh, fintech kind of like companies, BlackRock, because they wanted to buy more banks. BlackRock stock what, went up 80 points. Uh, it, the PNC stock went down badly. PNC, I think, needs that money. They're a big, small business lender. Small business is what's really hurt. When you own five, I plan fitness. You own five Planet Fitnesses. Maybe you own three Subways. Maybe you own four McDonald's. Or maybe you own something that's in the mall. 
and uh, or you know, a small business is just being crushed, especially if you weren't deemed essential. Because meanwhile, Costco was essential and Target was essential and Walmart is essential. And let me tell you, you are non-essential if you didn't if you're in that the, in that part of the gauntlet. I'm worried. So your point is point, what Jim. that Wells yeah, that Wells is going to have significant potential uh, things. I mean that it. That it's not going to be able to pay its dividend because the federal regulators are going to finally say no more dividends being paid I think across the board for the banks. We all know the prospect of negative rates is certainly a neg- is sure, certainly a bad one, even though Chairman loss. Powell says that's not going to happen. I think it's future loan loss. I, you look at the book, whether it be oil companies, Wells has done a lot of lending there, or whether it be just the classic, the construction, which is down so much, or classic small business loans after they went through PPP. So I just think that... It, I look, do I want that? Do I want to replay it 2007, 2009? No, but the Fed really doesn't want it. Uh, I, I think, look, the issue is if you've got to get the money in, into people's hands. Or, again, David, we do the Remdesivir cocktail, which would be terrific uh, in terms of where we are now. It eliminates some of the fear of going out. It, 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 look, it's yeah. Amazon versus everything. You're right, Jim. And we talk about the challenge of covering the impact on small business when our job is to cover public companies. Uh, But loan loan loss provisions are the vessel through which we will see what's happening in the small business world. By the way, guys, as we're talking, the president tweets uh, good numbers coming out of states that are opening. America is getting its life back. Uh, Vaccine work looking very promising before end of year. Uh, likewise, other solutions. Did you give uh, Jim, him the MasterCard numbers? About the, the president's da- optimism. David, give him the MasterCard <laughs> numbers, and I'll say that, yes, it's possible that J&J has it, to give him the J&J. That would be the company. Secondly, Moderna. And you just come out with that as optimistic two weeks, and then we got to cover it. David? Yeah. Yeah, then we're off to the races again. Um, Don't be I, so you know, cynical. Not to mention, though, what, have we added, what will we add to the national debt over time? What's the Fed's balance sheet going to look like? What is that really going to mean longer term for this generation that is coming up now in terms of the obligations they're going to have? I guess we just worry about this stuff once we get past the virus. They have to refinance. We had that with Secretary Benushin. He, he said there was no appetite for long-term bonds. I, I Having traded bonds, I wish we could ask Dave Tepper, I think that there is. But I also worry about the second wave because the mass thing. I mean, how did this become political? You can do the numbers. I know the mask isn't all that effective, but it's certainly more effective than me breathing, coughing on you in an airplane. David, I mean, can you imagine? I think think we knew. I I cough right on you, man. No, I think we knew once we saw this happening in China, we were starting to have a discussion about how our focus on individual freedom was going to make mandatory masks a challenge. Right. That's not a surprise. Well, focus on the strength of the country makes makes mass a necessity. I mean, how is South Korea, Taiwan? I mean, Taiwan is a country that I know a lot of people want to move to Taiwan. They couldn't even find it on a map. Sick. What do they got? Twenty five million people. Yeah. How That's many a, deaths? Six, a lot seven, of people. They figured it out. Low number. Yeah. What is their number? Yeah. I think it's six deaths. Where guys got a lot to get to. Uh, there's Cisco, of course, on with Jim last night. News out of 3M. Delta's retiring. All of their triple sevens. We'll get to all of that uh, as we keep our eye on jobless claims this morning as well. Back in a minute. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. 
We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I think you'll see many employees uh, that uh, will continue to work from home. You'll have many that will get back to the office and then you'll have some that'll do a little bit of both. Uh, but I think it'll change things like how we think about talent in the future. I think this has given us confidence that we can hire talent anywhere and have them participate productively on teams regardless of their location. What a conversation with uh, Chuck Robbins of Cisco with Jim last night on the quarter. And the guy, Jim, which on revenue wasn't too bad. No, it was really good. Uh, it's second only to David Dog, which has been the best. What I would point out is that they are the corporate, also known as enterprise, Zoom, okay? They have that business locked up. For instance, when you saw Dr. Fauci talking to the Senate, that was not Zoom. That was WebEx. That business is maybe the strongest of any large company's business line that I've seen because it's the most secure, uh, because it's what maybe all the universities are going to use, a lot of the big companies are going to use. And when you see uh, these banks where 95% of their people are off-site, they use WebEx more than they use Zoom. More secure, no servers in China. They are friends, these two guys. And, uh, Eric, yeah, everyone loves Eric Yuan, who's from, from Zoom. But I do think that there is a, something going on at Cisco. It has really tapped into this next generation that we're seeing right now. Genie out of the bottle. Work at home. Next year will be 5G. Very inexpensive stock. 3% yield. Fantastic management. This is one for people who are listening to Tepper and listening to Druckenmiller, very downbeat yesterday. I say, is that really expensive? And the answer is no. No, because it's part of the new universe. And it's not a hidden stock. It is a big Dow stock. Jim, do you, are you concerned, though, about the CapEx cuts that we see time and again from so many corporations hitting overall the ability to, to bring on services like Cisco has to offer them? Well, I, I think that it's become, and I think this is what Chuck has really been saying, it's a necessity. They would love, frankly, not to spend, but they can't afford it because they don't want to get their workers COVID. There is, look, that's the theme. I mean, that's one of the reasons why people say, oh, Jim, you're so worried about COVID. The country, the the world is worried about their employees getting COVID. So that's why this thing's not stopping. It's accelerating. All right. Guys, we've got 10 minutes, so we get an opening bell here for this Thursday. It's been a uh, down week so far. We'll see what the open holds. Uh, by the way, stay tuned as well. Next hour, we're going to have Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, join us. He will be the guest here on Squawk on the Street. We're back after this. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. 
and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back. Time for a mad dash as we get ready for an opening bell about eight minutes from now. Uh, Jim, a little Chipotle is on the menu for you. Yes. Uh, well, let's talk Darwin for a second. I don't know if you took that biology course. It was the only one you could get an A in if you didn't want to be serious to keep your transcript intact. Uh, one of the things that Darwin was talking about is adaptation. And sure enough, Chipotle ad- adapting like no one else with the Chipotle's. They are getting a huge percentage of their business off-site, uh, contactless. Uh, they're doing, they'll be doing $2 million a unit, which is really incredible. That's what you, they were doing before COVID. And I just love the way that the setup is for Chipotle going to 1,000. Nicole Miller-Reagan is my favorite analyst in the group. She thinks it goes to 1,100. By the way, David, Chipotle, Wendy's pushed this morning because breakfast is working. That matters too. Starbucks putting their foot down saying, you know what, to the malls, you want us. We are negotiating new leases down. That's the new theme. The strong, the strong that are surviving are actually getting their leases knocked down. And that's just going to accelerate their profitability. Again, stocks that look expensive will turn out to be cheap. Yeah, you're right. The tenants are in a, uh, in a very strong position with their yeah. landlords if, in fact, they are part of a large organization that is going to be able to sustain themselves. They even, I've heard, some are paying rent now, but saying, you know what, but we want a 50% reduction for the last four months but we'll apply it. You can apply it later at your discretion. But regardless, your point is, is well made, Jim, which is they're looking for opportunities here to cut their rent, essentially. Yes. And by the way, Chipotle, nobody wanted those Chipotle lanes in these big real estate investment trusts. Well, guess what? They're thrilled to have Chipotle because it's got a storefront and there's people behind it. Yeah, Jim. And as you point out, uh, Evercore takes Wendy's to outperform on the strength of breakfast, which is not something a lot of people were expecting. We'll take a break here. Uh, Richard Gonzalez of Appy is going to join us later on, talk about Allergan, the impact of COVID and a lot more. So stick around. I think what the chair was saying is that there could be significant downside risk. But on the other hand, uh, I I think if you look at the economy, and again, this is not a traditional situation of economic issues. So as I've said before, the economic models don't really predict this, that if we open up carefully and we open up in a safe way, uh, I I think you're going to see this is going to be a pretty bad quarter, but then we're going to recover and we're going to have a Mm -hmm. sequence of better quarters. And as the president said, our expectation is we're going to kill this virus and next year we'll be back to having a great economy just like we had before. The Treasury Secretary on Fox last night, uh, Jim, really summing up uh, one of the most powerful bull cases, and that is exogenous shock does not equal an economic imbalance and classic business cycle dynamics don't apply. Well, I think that if there's more, we need trillions to open the next level. Uh, and we open up carefully, like the secretary said, then I don't think we'll necessarily get the best economy, but I think we'll get a good economy. I mean, I, I do. I mean, I think what David said about we get the monoclonal antibodies, so you stop fearing every minute of your life, uh, and we get uh, people to be sensible, uh, as Boris Johnson said, stay alert, then it can be good. But we need sensibility, and I don't know how to enforce being sensible. I just don't know how to do it. 
Well, there's a lot of people who don't aren't fearful at all, Jim, uh, which in some ways, I guess, could be seen as a positive. And I think you would see it, though, as being reckless. I, I do. I mean, but we have doctors on TV who've gotten it. And it's wow. I mean, it's just devastating. And I think we all know by this point, we're in the state of New Jersey. I mean, it, it, it's a terrible place. We all know people have gotten sick. We probably at this point all know people who died. And these are young people or you see the devastation in the nursing homes, and the veteran homes. I just find this stuff. You look at the obituary page. It is overwhelming. And maybe I can just try to say, you know what? I'm a soldier on behalf of our country. But what I really am is a, a person who just wants to get to work, do his job, go home. And I think that's what most people want to do. But we're actually afraid of mass contact, just afraid, afraid to go to the Eagles games. I don't think that's a bad word to use, afraid. Yeah, no, I think you're right on. You're right on the money in terms of knowing someone who's passed away. I definitely have, Jim, and and there's got to be a, a race to ease some of the fear. There's the opening bell, uh, coming off of uh, the Dow's decline yesterday, lowest since April 21, uh, down four and a half percent over three days. Jim, a lot of talk about Fibonacci levels now, and this sort of battle between 29.30 and 27.90. You buy all that stuff? I don't. I mean, I care tremendously about Fibonacci, and I think that's real. I'm also looking at the VIX, trying to figure out where the VIX is coming in. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how oversold we are. These are the technicals that I think that I think are guiding us because we're in a moment where emotion is so high. You have to have something to hang on to. I had thought that if oil were to reverse itself, it would show some strength. Immediately counteracted by the jobless claims. I want to share the president's optimism because being optimistic is the Churchillian way to 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 approach things. But I have every single healthcare company on. I, I put them all on and they are uh, all a little more circumspect, except for Novio and Novavax, two smaller ones that I'm not sure they can necessarily deliver Moderna. Uh, but then when you speak to tech, what's doing well in tech companies that are making it so you can run your business from home. That's the strength. It's amazing. There are a lot of companies that are in on that, though. Um, guys, I don't care about Fibonacci, although I did enjoy his concerto in D minor. <laughs> um, but I uh, I walked out. <laughs> but I, yeah, um, I mean, you know, looking overall here at the market, I mean, Jim, do you stick with that covid index thing you've put together, Absolutely. which obviously has done quite well. Absolutely. Remember, COVID index is made up of companies that actually it's 11 trillion dollars now, about 12 trillion about of companies that do well in this environment. For instance, Credit Suisse recommended a stock that my travel trust owns McCormick today. And let's talk about McCormick for a second, because it's emblematic of the COVID index. You're at home uh, like me. You're cooking like me. You're awful at it like me. Well, you know what? Frank's is the answer. You know, I put that stuff on everything. It doesn't matter. Everything I make, I put Frank's on because I'm so sick of the same stuff that I make every night. I get the chicken. I put the the steak on. I mean, some pasta. Frank's, Frank's, Frank's. So that's the McCormick's way. General Mills had the best numbers I've ever seen General Mills have. You know, this is people baking. They're cooking. So what I'm saying is, is that that kind of thing, Mondelez, they're snacking way too much. That's going to do well. And then there are all the companies that are involved, whether it be uh, Logitech, which makes the uh, equipment to make it so you can work at home, Cisco, uh, NVIDIA, which makes it so that the cloud, which is really overburdened, does fine. Shopify, which is a company that that stock's way too hot. But you know what? Uh, if you don't have a storefront or you can't pay your rent, you go on Shopify. So the index is good because all of those companies, it's nirvana for them. 
Uh, they thrive on the on an introvert's paradise, being at home, doing nothing except for cooking and playing solitaire. Uh, there's not even many sports to watch. You're over the stove. David, how much time do you spend over the stove? Uh, I clean the stove. Uh, that's my role here right. in the household. Well, a lot of cleaning. A role. I don't do I play a role. I don't do a lot of cooking here that uh, we've sort of assumed some traditional roles, I guess. But I do spend a lot of time cleaning uh, way more than I ever thought was possible, in fact. Well, by Clorox. Um, Yesterday, but, I know. mistakenly wiped my yeah. face with the Clorox. I thought it was a Kleenex. Please don't do that. I've been <laughs> dousing my eye every. It was one of the most ill-advised moves I've made. Uh, but look, I'm, I, biotech is great in the index, David. All the health cares are fantastic. I mean, AbbVie is great. We're going to speak to them. I, I just think you have to recognize that the country is not the country that people think it is. Come I hear the guy. Look, I, I love Dave Tepper. and I think Tepper's unbelievable. But I think that some of the things that are bringing down the market are not uh, they're not in my index. I mean, he's an overall big picture guy, but there's no banks in the index, for instance. And I think the banks are a threatened group. Just a threatened group. But Cisco was so good last night. I mean, I want everyone to listen to Chuck Robbins. It's up. Mr. President, go read Chuck Robbins. The man, by the way, the company's giving away $300 million to make to, to, for this pandemic. But just go listen and you'll understand it's a completely unexpected windfall. And he didn't want it. Obviously, he's a he's a compare. He's a, a compassionate man. But when it comes to secure Looking at me, I'm looking at you, Dr. Fauci sent it. It's WebEx. And it's just went from being an okay business to being maybe the best business. That stock is inexpensive because of something that happens called a pandemic. Jim, did did Robbins uh, address China at all? You know, the president was on Fox this morning uh, saying he does not want to talk to President Xi right now. We have uh, the FBI has warned about them hacking into our biopharma research. We promised reports on the origin of the virus. Uh, We've said we're not going to renegotiate phase one. I mean, how much do you worry about uh, the beginnings of a new Cold War? Uh, I do worry. But Chuck was the guy who got me word. Uh, Chuck uh, pulled out of almost all of China. Uh, he recognized he was a visionary, saw it coming, told me constantly, look, you know, this is not where you can make your bed. Uh, and I do think, I mean, we see the South China Sea, you see Malaysia, you see the uh, potential combat. If the president were to say, I mean, I prodded uh, Peter Navarro through uh, Becky Quick the other day saying, why don't you make Taiwan a strategic ally? That would just really get the Chinese going crazy. I do think that it, it's all bad at a time, frankly, when we're not strong and it would be better to see some cooperation. Uh, everybody kind of needs to stick together because this thing is split in the world. And we can't have that happen. We don't have social unrest. There's, see the story about the tattoo parlor with the guys with the AR-15s in front of it? I mean, that's not what we want. Anybody no. want it? You guys want uh, it? That's suboptimal. That suboptimal. is suboptimal, as you like to say. Have you thought about uh, getting Jim, a couple of parts. Uh, do we have to have that conversation again? Really? Well, yes. Because, Didn't you ask me already? <laughs> well, I mean, my best friend, Michael Haley, said, Jim, I can't let you get it because I know that it'll go off and you'll shoot yourself by mistake. But it has occurred to me when I see guys with AR-15s defending tattoo parlors. I never knew those were essential. Just yeah. asking. Um, as, Carl had, as Carl had said earlier, I think the ideas of, that this is broken down to some extent in terms of at least uh, people's political leanings is seemingly unfortunate. 
Um, guys, if I could come back to a couple of groups we've been keeping an eye on that have sure. not been performing well and certainly didn't yesterday. The banks, we talked about them a bit. Jim talked a good deal about Wells Fargo. They continue to be quite weak uh, this morning. And the airlines, uh, you know, I think Delta talking about losing what is still as much as $50 million a day. Um, uh, American hitting a new low yesterday. Yeah. Phil LeBeau, of course, our expert on these, having talked about it as well. But you know, I don't know when somebody comes back to these names. It has been remarkable to watch the ability to raise capital at so many companies that are under pressure. They are reliant to a certain extent on the government. But, of course, the key question continues to be what happens come September when the money runs out. Right. And we know that uh, David Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing, started the big guessing game of which big airline is going to fail. I, that was ill-advised, David. It was an ill-advised thing to say. To your Oh, Bill so. Miller, Jim, yesterday. I don't, I don't know if we have time to play the sound, but he did say if you're betting against uh, the airlines, you're essentially betting against a vaccine. Let's take a listen to what Bill Miller said on, on our air on Wednesday. I think if you look at the overall market as a market, we're trading right now at around 17 times the consensus on bottom-up earnings estimates for 2021, which is about the average for the last five years. So now those, those estimates may be too high or they may be too low, but, but I think that gives you a sense of what analysts at least are thinking. And if that's the overall market number, I, I, I would call it, you know, it might be a little extended given the fact that we've got a, you know, a chasm of bad news to go over here, but I don't find it as dramatically overvalued as, as David or, or Stanley do. Wow. Interesting, Jim. Again, this notion that uh, valuation matters a lot less than positioning and flows and yes. FOMO. Yeah, I mean, look, Bill Miller knows the airline group. Uh, the Secretary Mnuchin made it clear that this is a strategic industry, not essential, but strategic, which means they're not going to let it go, which means they're going to let it ride until we do get a vaccine. Uh, these companies all do owe a lot of money. Uh, but I thought that Secretary Mnuchin is more powerful than David Calhoun in terms of uh, which one is uh, who shall live and who shall die. Still trying to figure out what was the edge of Boeing. I think Bill's terrific, by the way. Why? Because I, he got me an Amazon at 125. <laughs> he did. I recommend, he recommended Amazon. And then he recommended, then he recommended, then he recommended. Amazon. It, it, well, it's Stan Druckmann. All likes it too, the but, way. Yeah, but that, that's important. Yeah. Amazon's the story of it our is. generation. I got five store. Amazon boxes um, in front of my house, David. And when I get back, Carl, I'm not going to be worried about it. I'm not even going to use gloves. Out over 24 hours. Wow, you you're really going to go for it. You don't need these, man. Right. I'll save well, a pair for you. How many you go yeah, through these a, a little, day? you know, the prayers and whatever else you need to do around the box. The yeah, prayers. Careful with that. Don't put it. Oh, that's just a, okay. Good. It's a yeah, dumb put those one. On. It's a dumb one. No Clorox wipes for the face. David, look at this. Guys, real quickly, we're going to get to Abby in a minute, yeah. Jim. Um, M&A, as we know, has uh, not, un- not unexpectedly been... Uh, Quiet, but the one deal we're keeping a close eye on, of course, continues to be this conversations between Uber and Grubhub. Not too much to add this morning other than there was some reporting yesterday about a 1.9 ratio that Uber might have been offering here. So you sort of had a sense that it's 2.15 ask in terms of the ratio, 1.9. But what I'm hearing is that 1.9, um, 1.9 shares of Uber free share Grubhub, that may be the, the as high as they're willing to go. It's unclear whether that actually has been made as an offer at this point. Uh, and we should know something in the next couple of days. Either they're going to be able to figure out a way to get this deal done, or my understanding is from people familiar with the situation that they are going to actually uh, end those conversations. Oh. So just a little bit of incremental information there on that uh, on that deal. If they get it done, Jim, the question then will become antitrust, which is not an insignificant question. 
given the size of both businesses, even though they're both losing money in their respective yeah, businesses. Well, uh, Matt's got to make the deal or he's going to have to Part face the it. wheel. All right, let's bring in. I want something good. Tell me something good. Tell me something sweet. How about Abvi? Let's bring in Abvi CEO Richard Gonzalez right now. Rick, welcome to uh, your really your TV appearance. It's great to have you. Tell us about the new <laughs> at, new Abvi because boy, does it ever look different now that the Allergan deal's closed. Well, good morning, Jim, and it's uh, nice to uh, chat with you again. And thank you for inviting me on the show. So it's an exciting time for our organization. But maybe before I go into uh, the acquisition. I want to make sure that I acknowledge and thank uh, all of our employees uh, at Abvi and at Allergan who have really worked tirelessly over the last several months in tough circumstances to get us to where we are today. And uh, I'm extremely proud of both organizations. So let's talk a little bit about the acquisition. Uh, I think one of the important things to think through is when are we doing this acquisition and what is the status of the business? And I would describe it as we're doing this acquisition at a point when Abvi is very strong. If you look at our performance uh, since our inception, really, 2013, we had uh, revenues of $18.8 billion. We've grown that to last year, $33 billion, or a compounded growth rate of about 10%. We've grown earnings at almost double that rate, 19%. We build a very strong R&D organization, and that's going to be critical in the new AbbVie. But that R&D organization has created 14 new products or new indications. Last year alone, those products generated $9 billion of the $33 billion. And as you commented on your show the other day, Obviously, we had a very robust quarter in the first quarter, so the business is actually accelerating in its growth as we move forward here. So we're doing it at a point of strength. Now, Allergan is a great company, has great products and great people, so we're excited about bringing these two organizations together. And there's a number of things that the Allergan transaction will do for us and for the new combined company. It clearly diversifies our revenue base in a very significant way. It adds a couple of additional major uh, growth franchises to the business, so we'll have a total of four, immunology, oncology, aesthetics, and CNS and neuroscience will be the four major growth drivers for the company. It clearly financially is a very important transaction and an attractive transaction. As we've said, it's accretive in year one. It grows to 20% accretive over time. Uh, There are over $2 billion worth of synergies that we're going to extract from the business, so it'll drive profitability even higher. And we're obviously a very profitable business as well. Um, And it has a positive ROIC in year one, which is unusual for a transaction of this size. So we're tremendously excited about the opportunity, yeah. and I think we'll do well. Okay, so Rick, one of the things that people are worried about, we actually are having in this country a health care recession because some rules and shutdowns I know I think are wrong. I don't know if you think are wrong, but I think that when you have people like dermatologists uh, who know how to wear a mask and know how to wear a, a gown, they should be doing their business. And I want to know whether when the health care recession ends, whether you're going to see a surge in pent-up demand for Botox, Allergan's chief product, that will make it so this next quarter uh, or the quarter that you're open will be by far your biggest ever. Well, I think it's, it's an excellent point, Jim. Um, I think one of the ways to think about it is we are going through this phase where we're in shelter in place. So patients are reluctant to go to the doctor, and that's what's really driving uh, the demand curve that we're seeing right now. And it's really across the board. If you think about our business, the Abbey business, 
we primarily have chronic care products, products that uh, people take on a long-term basis. And uh, the base continues to be very stable, but what we have seen is a reduction, not to zero, in fact, still above 50% of new patient volume because patients aren't going to the physician's office as often or some physician's offices have closed. But I think as you look to the recovery, every industry is gonna be different. Every business is gonna be different. But to the point you just made, I think if you look at our business, uh, our prescription volume is driven by physicians who are very skilled at using PPE. It's a low density environment, uh, typically. And so it's a low risk environment. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll be on the leading edge of that recovery. So what we've projected is we're gonna see some impact in the second quarter. It'll vary by uh, parts of our business. But we expect to see a recovery in third and fourth quarter. And obviously, as you heard from our earnings call, uh, with the momentum of our business in the first quarter, had COVID not happened, we would have been raising guidance. So what we've essentially said is that we can maintain guidance despite the impact on the AbB side of the business. And we'll be announcing what the Allergan piece looks like here in the not too distant future. All right. I know that my uh, colleagues probably want to ask about Umira, which is incredibly important, obviously. I, I just want to comment and get a sense from you. Uh, <clears throat> I got up this morning with a bell ringer of a migraine, which is highly uh, usual for me, frankly, because I'm the spokesperson of the American Migraine Foundation. So what did I do? <clears throat> did I say I can't do my workout? I can't do my work. It was 3 a.m. No, I popped in a new Brelvi, which is a new drug, 50 milligram. And 40 minutes later, I had no migraine. Now, anyone who suffers of the 30 million people knows that migraine cannot be treated acutely. And then this drug came along. How big will this drug be for you? Well, this is a very significant opportunity. And let me say, we appreciate your leadership uh, with the Migraine Society. I think you've been a great spokesperson for them. But this is an important market. It's a large market, has huge unmet need. And as you said, there wasn't an acute product in the marketplace. Ubrelvi is that. It's off to a very good start. Allergan has done a nice job of launching that. There has been some COVID impact, as with all new products, but we expect it to rebound as soon as things start to return to a more normalized level. And uh, I think one of the unique things about AbbVie's position in this market is we're the only company that will have a portfolio of assets for migraines. So we have Ubrelvi for acute migraines. If you get a headache, you take that. And then we have Botox Therapeutics, which is a chronic product for prevention of migraines. And then we have in development another oral CGRP, which is a chronic product. So we'll have all three products, two orals and an injectable available to manage migraines. Such important uh, therapies, uh, Mr. Gonzalez. Um, I want to turn, though, to the current environment and just overall how you're managing the company. For example, the company's sales force. Uh, when do you see them returning to work? What impact is there of not having people on the road in doctor's offices uh, selling your product? Uh, your office workers, your scientists, give us some roadmap here in terms of how you're thinking about AbbVie and how you get people back to work, so to speak, not from their homes. Well, the first thing I'd say is we're operating uh, very effectively in the current environment, which, frankly, if you had asked me ahead of time, could you operate with this level of remote working? I would have told you probably not. So I'm impressed with the efforts that have been put in place and the effectiveness of those efforts. Having said that, we are in the process of preparing for what we call return to office, where we're going to start to bring people back in a phased approach. We're going to make sure that we've reduced the density 
in all of our larger uh, office buildings. Operations are continuing to operate effectively right now and have throughout the crisis. Salesforce, what our plan is there is, again, to equip our sales force with personal protective equipment, temperature checking devices. They will be tested uh, so that they're, we're comfortable that no one is positive uh, before we deploy people. We will do it on a state-by-state state basis as the health authorities deem that it's uh, safe to do so. And we'll start to return in that phased uh, manner. Now, I would say even before the crisis, probably 50 percent of our detailing was e-detailing or remote detailing. So um, we do believe it's important to get back to uh, direct interactions uh, in a different way where clearly there will have to be social distancing and personal protective equipment associated with that. But we do think that's an important process. On the R&D side, uh, we've seen some impact on our clinical studies from an enrollment standpoint, which is logical. Uh, we're starting to see that ramp back up. Uh, we'll obviously deploy people to uh, make sure that that starts to ramp back up. And we're in the process of ramping up our discovery laboratories. Those are a very low-density population area. We're typically one or two scientists work in a laboratory uh, area. So those can be brought back up safely and effectively. So I think we'll be back in a position where we do it in a phased fashion over the course of the next three or four months. We may not fully go back to 100 uh, percent office uh, density uh, before there's a vaccine, but I think we can go back to some reasonable level of office density. And speaking of, uh, uh, well, vaccines or other treatments, there had been some discussion that Coletra, your uh, antiviral agent for HIV, might have some effect on covid is there any evidence pointing to that? Well, there is evidence pointing to it. The in vitro data clearly shows that that protease inhibitor does bind to COVID-19. I would say it binds, and there's, if you look at all the agents that are out there now, none of them bind at the level that you would normally want an antiviral. Uh, you would want very high levels of binding uh, for an antiviral agent to have the kind of effectiveness. And I'll talk to that here in a moment. But Kaledra is in a very large study uh, being conducted by the World Health Organization, has four arms associated with it. Two of the arms are Kaledra, one Kaledra monotherapy, the other is Kaledra in conjunction with uh, beta interferon. We should get results from that study, I would say, in the next 30 days. And I think that will answer the question as to whether or not Kaledra can be used as an effective therapy. And we obviously need as many therapies as we can to deal with this virus. The other agent that's an on-market product for us that we're evaluating is Imbruvacar, BTK inhibitor. And uh, there's some evidence that would suggest that Imbruvacar might have the potential to blunt the cytokine storm, which, as you know, can have a devastating impact for patients. And so we have a study ongoing to look at whether or not Imbruvacar can have that kind of impact. The other thing I'd say is we have now deployed our antiviral group to look and see if they can develop a highly potent antiviral agent. And we've been very successful with HIV. We're a pioneer in that field with protease inhibitors. We have also been effective with HCV, where we can actually cure, cure patients in four weeks who have HCV as a virus. So we've deployed that team to look for developing highly potent antiviral agents. I think if we could combine a potent antiviral 
or combination of mechanisms with a vaccine, this would not be a very scary disease at all. Wow. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that because that's the most uh, that's the most positive thing I've heard. And I know that you're not given hyperbole because I know your work. I want to thank R- Richard Gonzalez. He's the chairman CEO of AbbVie. And, sir, if you're right, <laughs> the world's going to change. Thank you. Thank you. Let's hope so, Jim. Uh, Dow's down almost uh, 400 points. We're below 23K, below 2790, a lot of the uh, levels that we've been watching. Banks, materials, industrials, energy leading us lower. When we come back, we'll talk to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer when Squawk on the Street comes back. Regional banks, the source of some pain this morning, down 4%, six-week low. In fact, it's on pace for its fourth worst week in the history of the set. When we return, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer on phase four and what needs to happen to get that legislation going in a moment. Jim, what's on MAD tonight? Okay, so we have Planet Fitness. Uh, if you look at the states that have under 10,000 uh, cases, well, I sure let, hope they let Planet Fitness open. S&P Global, I know David cares about issuance. We're going to talk about issuance. That's their primary business. And um, Alteryx, which is a company that allows you to not have to be uh, glued to your spreadsheet. So I'm looking at this show tonight and saying here it is, the real pastiche of America once again. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.